Who never do for do? Yeah, wings with friends. Ah, wings with friends. You got to get the wings to be with the friends. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to Wings with Friends. I'm your host, Mary Upchurch, and how are you doing? How's the pandemic treating you? I keep saying that, but it's a dumb and weird question, and I apologize. All right, right up front. Just gonna apologize. I never know how to open the show. Um, I guess to get to my point is uh, we're doing distanced episodes. All right, we're bringing you quality content, quality guests who are meeting with me via FaceTime, via Zoom, and uh, you know what? I'm here for it. It's pretty neat because, you know, I <laughs> because I'm getting guests maybe I wouldn't have gotten. Uh, not in this case because. Uh, <laughs> reach out to people you don't know people across the country i hear it's safer for women so um you know what i'll just get to it you guys i'm really excited to be here with the king of television please welcome paul goble oh thank you for having me thanks mary how are you paul I'm pretty good, uh, all things considered. I, I mean, you know, it's, <clears throat> I, I feel like you a little bit, uh, you know, during the pandemic because people are always asking me, how are you doing? And I'm sure you're getting it a lot because we're in Arizona where there's so many cases. It's pretty bad here. So people who don't live here uh, are always asking, How's, how are things going? Is it okay? Because they have no idea. But, you know, because of my privilege, I'm actually great. Uh, you know, I'm retired, so I don't have to go to work. Uh, my children are grown, so I don't have to worry about them in my house. My wife still has her job and is working from home. So, uh, you know, very little of the pa- the pandemic has affected me very little, but it's all because of my privilege, and I know that. So uh, I feel ridiculous when people ask me, how are you doing? Because I know I'm doing better than they are, regardless of who they are. Uh, so I-, I always ask people, how are you doing? How are you getting along? Especially when I know that they have kids at home or they're younger than me or they have to go to a job or something like that. So I know it, it seems dumb to ask that, but I think it's important, <clears throat> especially right now when we can't see each other because how many times like run into a friend and you could just tell something was up with them, they were sick or something was going on and then you could ask them, hey, are you okay? Well, we can't do that now. And you know, and it's important at least once in a while to, to be able to reach out because life is still going on. People are still getting divorced and people are still getting sick and kids are still being fucking horrible. And you know, it's important. A friend of mine reached out to me the other day and was like, I'm about to blow my brains out teaching my kid at home. I can't take it. And I was like, I know, man, if I had to teach my kids when I was, if my kids were home with me right now, uh, I don't know what I would do, honestly. They drove me crazy enough when they could go outside. So I'm gonna take that as a fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. No, actually, that's what I love about you and your wokeness. Oh, Paul, man. you are so woke, uh, and I appreciate you acknowledging your privilege. And <laughs> it's kind of a reminder to me, too. And I'm like, yeah, not trying to brag, but this kind of is working for me it, exactly it, like, yeah as a, as a single woman who has a who has a very good job and her own place yeah it, it's happening to work out for you of course things could easily turn for either one of us but yeah i think it's important to recognize especially because i mean the, as a statistic show this whole pandemic and the disease itself 
is already affecting people of color disproportionately. Yeah. We know that's a, a fact. So as a white man, I think, you know, <laughs> who am I going to complain? Now, granted, I am old, so uh, I'm going to own that, that I'm too old to go out and protest and, yeah. and you know, and expose myself to this shit. I would love to go and hang out with my kids, uh, but unfortunately, my oldest daughter is a teacher in a preschool, and she just had to get fucking tested. So, you know, just to hang out and have dinner with my kid is a huge risk for me as an old man. So I'm not saying that I'm uh, invincible by any means, but I'm saying my risk is low, and and I understand that other people's risk is much higher. And 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 like you said, we have to recognize that because yeah. there's a lot of fucking people there. I feel like uh, I'm trying to donate when I can, like every time something good happens, just to kind of. I don't want things to get too good because I feel like uh, the other shoe's gonna drop. So I try to like spread it out and uh, try right. to help. Right, absolutely. As many people you want to get your make sure your karma's all adjusted when uh, the fucking shoe drops, so it, it doesn't <laughs> hit you too hard. Right. Yeah, I've been um, in that position far too many times when I thought things were awesome, and uh, next thing I know, I had to sell my house. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm hoping I'm at the age where I've seen a little bit of stuff now to where I can say. We're going to be okay. You know, I remember, you know, in 2008, we were really stressed out. I remember when George Bush was the president, where I was like, oh, my gosh, this cannot be. And now I'm like, oh, I would love to have him back. Right. You know, and I'm yeah, like, that, wow. We were, how childish were we when, when W was president? We thought it was the end of the world, which, uh, you know, maybe that's a way to look at this whole thing. Like when, you, when, we, when we were, you know, when Bush got elected twice, we thought, God, what's wrong with this country? Well, now we know how worse, how much worse it can be. It's hard to imagine it getting any worse than it is now, but I think that's the lesson. It can always be much, much worse. Oh wow! Yeah, you got to keep that in mind. Um, so on a you know on a personal on a personal financial kind of side of it, on the other side of it, comedy um, mm. is struggling. Um, I think uh, we're trying to kind of get there and and, so, and it's yeah. working and it isn't and i mean hence this podcast or even your show but um yeah it's interesting um for those of my people listening who don't know you tell us who you are introduce yourself oh. and paul what makes you so special <laughs> well if you google me uh i am like the whole first page of google so it's all right there i'm uh, i'm an open book uh but uh, i used to be uh, well i um when I first started doing stand-up, uh, I start, I did this thing where I would answer tri trivia questions about television because I've always loved television and I knew a lot about it. And I made it into an act. And so uh, and so I started doing that. And then when I moved out to L.A. Um, in around, what was that, around 1998, uh, 90, yeah, 97, 98, when I moved out to L.A., uh, I was doing that as a stand-up act, so it was kind of like a reputation. I started to call myself the king of TV trivia. And I uh, and I had been on the radio already in Chicago with this guy, Johnny B., Jonathan Brandmeier, who was very popular uh, throughout the Midwest, Chicago and Milwaukee and all that. He was extremely popular. So uh, when I moved out here, he was actually doing a show from here. So I got on the radio a lot, and I was doing stand-up a lot. And uh, and I would answer questions as part of my, as part of my act. And then... Uh, TV Land had this um, this big uh, competition called the Search for the Ultimate TV Fan, uh -huh. and and I remember they had they did it a year before, and I remember when it and watching it when it happened, and it was kind of a small affair, but I was like that's kind of neat, and then they announced they were doing it again, and I was like I got to get in on this one, 
And I went to a mall to compete with a bunch of other people. Mr. T was there. And I got to meet Mr. T, which is a great story. Um, and we all competed, and I did not win. There was one guy won, and, and I didn't win. I was like, well, that sucks. But then they had like a second chance thing where you could take a quiz online on their website. And this is, you know, back before things were great on, online. Uh, and then uh, you could get on that way. And so I took the quiz, and I guess I did well because one day they called me and said, uh, hey, uh, you passed this quiz. You want to take a – if you take a verbal quiz and pass it on the game show. And I was like, oh, shit, let's do this. And the guy just asked me 10 trivia questions. I answered them all correctly. And he goes, okay, uh, do you think you can fly out to New York next month? And I was like, what? Uh, and so it was – I got on the show. It was like a big round-robin competition. And they started us all out. And it was great because they put us all up at the W in New York. Uh -huh. And it was really nice and gave us a per diem. But everybody got the same amount of money and uh, had the same, you know, hotel stay because they had no idea how many people were staying for how long or whatever. And I kept winning and moving on and, and into the thing. And my per diem kept running out. And so by, like some people went home one day and had like, you know, 500 bucks in their pocket. Uh -huh. Me, at the end of the week, I... Uh, uh, I get, can I borrow twenty dollars from somebody <laughs> so I can eat before we shoot? Um, but it, it was weird. But you know, I'm staying in this nice hotel, but I had no money. Uh, so, uh, but I ended up winning. I won it. I became TV Man's ultimate fan, and I won all these great prizes. I won like eight TVs and a car what? and a computer. And I got to host my own hour on TV Land once a week. It was awesome. Wait, what so was I the title? What was the title that you won? TV Land's ultimate fan okay cool and it, and it was a and it, it was a show on tv land uh uh i think it was on every day they obviously they they shot it and made a game show out of it hosted by the infamous chuck woolery um oh, uh, but you can you can watch you can see it online there's a bunch of it um so uh, and that was back before he was crazy so he was nice so anyways right. i won it and i got a lot of exposure out of that and so uh people were having me on the shows and rio and shit and uh, one day I got a call from uh, uh, Zoe Friedman, who is Bud Friedman's daughter. Um, and at the time she was working at Comedy Central. And I knew her uh, because of hanging out at the improv. I was always at the improv a lot. And at the time I, th I was friends with Doug Benson and he knew Zoe and whatever. And she was a lovely, she's a lovely person. Uh, but she was like, oh, we should do a game show based on what you do. And of course, you know, she was just idle chatter, but I went, that is a great idea. Uh, and uh, one day she called me and said, I'm talking to these guys about a game show, that thing we had. They're going to give you a call. And I was like, sounds good. So these guys, Mark Cronin and James Rowley, who had produced a few smaller things, um, called me and said, we're going to do a game show. We're going to get a couple of guys just like you in different categories. And it's going to be where people have to come on and, you know, try to answer questions. We call it uh, meet the geeks or beat the geeks or something like that. I'm like, well, that sounds good. Of course, I didn't give a fuck. I just wanted to be on TV. I was like, yeah. let's do this. Because I had already been I had already been getting work as an actor. I was on uh, the show Boston Common as a semi-regular. Oh, my gosh. I, wait a second. Hold on, Paul. I love that show. <laughs> with Anthony Clark. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It was on NBC. I think it went two seasons and, then, and then went off the I air. need to come back to this in a minute <laughs> because already there's so much I want to unpack. But don't let me not come back to Boston Common. All right, yeah, we'll come back because there's good Lurleen. Wasn't that a sister's name, Lurleen? 
Lurleen, yeah, something like that, yeah. Erleen, maybe it was Erleen. Oh, he Heidi, had an accent. Heidi was her real name. She was lovely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I had already been on TV and all, but I was like, now I get to basically be on TV as myself. And, like, this is kind of, you know, the dream come true. If this goes goes well, I'll have basically have my own show on Comedy Central where I'm being myself and not an actor, and I get to tell jokes and whatever. And uh, and that's exactly what happened. They found a couple other guys to be the music geek and the movie geek, and uh, they built a show all around it. And uh, we did two seasons, and it was a lot of fun. You know, I didn't get rich off of it because it was basic cable, uh, uh, contrary to what a surprisingly amount of people uh, tend to believe. A lot of people think I got rich off that show, right. uh, which is uh, not could not be closer to the truth. Could not be farther away from the truth. Yeah, but. Uh, but um, uh, but it was a good gig, and obviously got me a lot of exposure and uh, and onto other things. But that but that's pretty much the way people remember me now as the TV geek from that show, or they either remember me as the guy from Not Another Teen Movie who jerked off in their French toast. <laughs> What's uh, that? You? Yeah. Okay, hold on. I'm really excited because <laughs> I love all of these um, you know projects. And it's a little bit of my generation of what I, because I graduated high school in 96 when you were moving sure. to Hollywood, but it's the, the TV era that I really liked and the movie area I really liked, so it all hits with me. Um, but mm. going back to like how you kind of, what one thing I kind of like really see from this or I'm hearing from this is you just took something that you liked, which was your strength, and turned that into like your act, and then people noticed you for it, and that's you. And then you got to do that. What more yeah. can you ask for when it comes to like <laughs> creating and and all of that? Yeah, it's true, and it's funny because I, part of it is just because you know, as always, it's uh, just my circumstances. Uh, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, growing up in Michigan, Flint, Michigan, of all places, um, you know, TV was a great escape. And it was even before cable TV. You know, we had five channels. One of them was uh, the Canadian channel. Uh, but I grew up watching, you know, all the reruns during the day and SNL and SCTV and all that stuff. And I was just like, man, I would love to be on mm -hmm. TV one day. This is awesome. You know, I watch the kids on the Brady Bunch and I'm like, they suck. I can <laughs> easily do what they're doing. All I got to do is get to Hollywood somehow and figure out how this how this all works, you know. And it was harder to do back then. Like I said, the world was a much bigger place uh, back then. Eventually, um, you know, uh, when I did uh, move to L.A., uh, I was so honestly it was all about getting on TV. That's all I cared about was being on TV because I love TV so much. And I remembered all the all the minutia about TV shows and the relationships of characters. And this guy was on this show and he's married to this person and now she's on that show. And all that stuff was fascinating to me. I wanted to be a part of it. So then when I eventually grew up and, and, and learned how television worked and all, you know, I moved to LA and I started getting work in commercials, which was uh, much easier than I thought it was gonna be. Uh, and then uh, And then I made a short, jump to uh to getting on tv shows and uh and i remember boston common was like the first big gig uh i auditioned for luckily the producers were very very nice and we hit it off and so they called me back repeatedly to play that same character well i would just have maybe one or two lines but they were like give this to paul yeah and have him come in because then they didn't have to worry about it because uh, everybody liked me, and that was before I was such a disagreeable piece of shit. <laughs> but everybody liked everybody liked me back then, so it was very nice. So, so you go in and you, and you learn, you know, and, and it's what and the, the the job it's 
itself is very easy. Being on TV is not a hard job for the most part. I mean, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, if you're on a superhero show, I'm sure Supergirl does a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. But being the fat guy on Boston Common with two lines was very, very easy for me to do. Um, and so the money was crazy because it was so I remember one episode. They send me the script to my house because I didn't even show up for the audition. They just said, can you do this? And I'm like, great. And they go, we'll send a script and contracts to your house. I get it. I, I, I sign it. I send it back. I'm waiting and waiting for them to call me for when I need to be there to shoot. Uh, shooting day comes along and I haven't got a call. So I call casting. I'm like, hey, uh, do I need to be there for shooting today? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Nobody called you. You got written out. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I guess they felt bad because she goes, but we'll pay you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so you're telling me I'm going to get this giant paycheck over $1,000 and all I had to do was sign a contract. It's, um, that's some corporate shit right there. You know, I was like, like, this is a great fucking job. This is what they mean by TV money. Nice. So, so, uh, so that was where it had, had all started. And so I had already had experience being on TV and all that. So the next step, when I was told, I, Hey, we want to put you on a show on comedy central, you know, we had to sell the show and workshop it. And, uh, before it started, I was like the only, I think me and the movie geek, Mark were the only people who they had locked in. So we would do these presentations for Comedy Central over and over again. And Mark was not a comedian. He was interesting and weird, but he was not a comic. So it was up to me to kind of sell the show and show what it was like. And they're like, so, you know, we want it to be kind of like your act. You're kind of a prick and uh, you, you know, you know everything and you insult people and like that. And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll do that. So at the presentations, I really had to amp it up. Up. And of course, everybody fucking loved it and it sold the show. So when it came time to do the actual show, it was, I mean, they had people writing insults for us because it was such a big part of what we did. And I mean, my favorite part of the show was because they had to keep us separate from the contestants and everybody because it was a, a real game show. So, uh, but before we would start shooting, we'd be behind the curtain and they'd be like, okay, you can look now. And we would peek out at the contestants to get a good look at them. Uh, and try to come up with insults right then and there before we started the show. <laughs> so we'd peek out and I'd be like, okay. And I'd say, well, like the head writer, I'd go, all right, I want to say that one girl, Britney Spears, called and wants her pants back. Is that okay? <laughs> Can we do that? And he'd be like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, say that, say that. And, uh, and so that was like a huge part of the show. So, you know, we were doing uh, five shows a week. So it was, you know, it was basically a whole week of me being an asshole to people and acting like I knew everything <laughs> and, uh, and being a total jag off. And as you can see, that kind of was the springboard for my entire career. <laughs> so nice. Um, do you think, and, and because I'm thinking about the time frame, do you think this show was almost like a prequel culturally for like the Big Bang Theory? Oh, for all this nerd nerd thing. I mean, I I I used to be uh, pretty tight with Chris Hardwick back in the stand-up days, and you know he uh, he went through a hard time, and then he got when he got his shit together, he wrote that book, The Nerdist Way, and kind of embraced the whole nerd culture and built that into this whole empire. And I've always said the main reason he was able to do that was because of social media, uh, because he had he was able to build a website and Twitter and all that. When Beat the Geeks was on. Uh, there was no social media. There was no Twitter, no MySpace. Uh, there was, you know, texting, but barely. Uh, it was very early. If, if, 
Beat the Geeks had come on later when basically geek tools were used by everybody, mm-hmm. it would have gone on for it would have gone on just as long as Ben Stein's money, yeah. no doubt about it. Because you look, because I mean, I, I always use At Midnight as the best example. Uh, you know, At Midnight, which was a fake game show, borrowed a lot from Beat the Geeks because there's so much nerd yeah. shit in there. You know what I mean? And it was, and it basically had already been proven. When Beat the Geeks was on, it was a subculture. Now it's an actual culture. Yeah. That's the difference. I didn't know that the Nerdist started out as a book. Yeah, it was like the, the artist book. way. Have you ever read that book, The Artist Way? It's all. Uh, <laughs> it's one I'm have. procrastinating. <laughs> it's one I'm not. I'm um, not reading. But, but yeah, he would. The Artist Way is a thing. You know, you read yeah. and it tells you how to open yourself. Blah, blah, blah. But he, um, that was why he called it the Nerdist Way. So it's a way oh. to. Uh, the, the premise of the book is everything you do scores you points like you're in a video game. So I got up early today, two points. I had breakfast before I left, three points. Shit like that to get yourself t- together and to still embrace, you know, because a lot of times when you try to make yourself a better person, self-help or whatever, it's always about, there's always some part of it that is about uh, denying something. Yeah. It's like, you should be yourself and be blah, blah, blah. But that thing about you playing D&D, just don't mention that. That's That doesn't fit our narrative. Where the Nerdist way, that was what it was all about. Uh, not only am I fit and I'm smart and I'm well-studied, but I love to play D&D and watch cartoons. And, and it was a whole culture. And then so in real life, nerds, especially young kids in high school, it, they had something to kind of go look up to. Because, of course, Chris Hardwick, sure. probably the most successful nerd in history. You know what so, I mean? You know, I think that's another check mark in the column of just be yourself and find a way to be yourself, you know, and let that Absolutely. evolve. Um, it's funny when, when I when I moved to LA and you know, and I when I was doing stand up along with everyone else, you know, everyone was trying to get their own sitcom. That was the deal. Uh, just go on stage and be Tim Allen, be Jerry Seinfeld, be yourself and get your own sitcom. And obviously it worked. I mean, if you look at the list of people who had their own sitcom named after them that lasted six episodes, it goes a very long. Uh-huh. And so the, the example agents and managers would always use was Tim Allen. They'd say, you know, he went on stage and talked about things he was interested in and had a voice and had a point of view. And that gave him his whole career. And it's a great example. Unfortunately, it, not every example is that clear cut, you know. Yeah. Everybody Loves Raymond is another good example. You know, Ray Ray Romano talked about his life. But that's what every comedian tried to do. So that was basically, it made it easier for me. I was able to say, okay, well, I love TV, and I know a lot about it, so I'm going to talk about TV. I'm going to make jokes about shitty TV shows. I'm going to make fun of actors. I remember I uh, when, uh, you remember that show, My Wife and Kids with Damon Wayans? Yeah. Uh, I said, uh, that show... Uh, is just a remake of the Cosby show, but with black people. And I would make jokes like that on stage, and most of the crowd would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, don't, I have no idea what that is. But that's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. Do you want to please everybody in the crowd, or do you want to really make a third of them laugh? And, and that was really your only choice. When I was doing stand-up, you had to have a unique point of view. And for me, I was the only guy doing that. And answering trivia questions was good, too, because then it almost like was a it it verified it. Like I had uh, my friend David Feldman, who uh, is an Emmy winning writer for the Oscars and Dennis Miller Live. uh, He the first night he saw me at the improv, he said, uh, 
I would I was doing jokes about TV and it was late and I it, I was getting a few chuckles but then I said now I'm going to answer some trivia questions and he said to me he went oh god this is going to suck because generally it does if you do something unplanned with the audience the chances that it's going to suck are, are good but I answered everybody's trivia question that night 100% I got them all right and so David was like oh my god this isn't a bit he's the real guy <laughs> He was impressed with that, and we became friends. I used to go hang out at Dennis Miller Live, and he had me on his podcast all the time, uh, and it was it was a great thing. But that was that was the perfect example. Had I not been doing that, yeah. he wouldn't have seen that, and uh, and no one would have given a fuck. And you know, even though it never happened, I cannot tell you how many times somebody in a position of power who I never met came up to me after a set and said, "Man, this should be a TV show." Nice. So there's that. Yeah. No, I like that. And from, so what's interesting, what I'm finding so interesting is you're telling, you're, you're sharing some things that are like behind the scenes of things that I saw or I remember from this side of the TV or on this <laughs> side of the couch. So yeah. I'm just like, wow. And honestly, to me, before I started doing stand-up, Chris Hardwick was just the guy who hosted, the, was it Singles or was it was Singled, singled Out? out. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know. But I didn't realize. And then also, I think it's just amazing now, um, you know, just a TV credit, how important that is for our comic. And, uh, and, and... and you know, it's, it's funny because it's not just uh, important for uh, just your career. You know, TV credits are important. It's, it's a sad state, but it, honestly, it doesn't really matter what your TV credit is. Like, you can be on Impractical Jokers or some show on a basic cable, but if you have a TV credit, it's a huge deal, yeah. especially to people who don't have TV credits. Yeah. And I think that's the key. For people who are non-comics, they don't understand. If you can roll into a show or an open mic and the, and the, the host says, oh, you've probably seen this next comic on At Midnight, and everybody goes, oh, and looks around. You've already set the bar. You've already sh showed the people at the open mic who you are before you even stepped on stage. So it is a big deal. And for me personally, you know how much I love to talk shit and act like a big shot. So when other comedians try to step to me, I always say, what are your TV credits? Yeah. And when we hear nothing but crickets, the conversation's over. So it's very good to have those TV yeah. credits regardless of what they are like you know, uh, have you ever have you ever seen the show comedians unleashed with byron allen yes yes it's fucking heinous right it's so dumb and so posed yet they have four comics on every episode and they're all funny and you know afterwards they're all like fuck yeah there's another tv credit in my belt yeah. and of course it pays really well so well, that's all even though the show is garbage yeah um and you know what's funny is, and I, I think of like when I'm trying to promote or I'm telling my friends or my work friends, like, oh, come to this show. I'm opening for so-and-so. And they're like, who? And I'm like, oh, right. my gosh, they're such a big deal. But and it's, so it's like there's like comedy famous and then there's like, you know, real world or, you know, the, the, the mainstream famous. And I'm like, okay, but they're really great. And it's like, gosh, the things you have to do to get into that zone. It's weird how the public yeah. is. It's. It's yeah, it's it's strange because, you know, I think this happens to everybody who moves to L.A. and, and what and didn't grow up in the uh, in the Hollywood machine. There's a point when you have to give in. There's so much about it that feels forced or is uh, counterproductive to what you're trying to do. 
And so you try not to be that guy, like, you know, not doing commercials is a perfect example. Some people move to LA and say, I just don't want to do commercials. It feels gross. But in reality, uh, it's just another job. And no, no logical thinking person thinks that if you do a commercial for this product, you're endorsing the product. You're an actor. They all know that. I don't go, hi, I'm Paul Goebel. Here's this. I'm acting like a guy at a barbecue. That's yeah. not me. You know, so so it's easy to get over. Plus commercials pay. I mean, that's the best money there is in TV is because every imagine, time they play that commercial. Like you're saying, it's just work. And it's like exactly. there's these blips that kind of keep you going. And then every right. once in a while you get a big one. And then you get, and that's like some consistency. <laughs> and you have to give in to that because that's simply the way the business works. And there, you know, and there's a thing called a Q rating, uh, where it's basically just how recognizable is somebody. Oh. And sometimes that Q rating goes to people who 99% of them have no idea what their name is, but they know, yeah, that's the guy from Home Improvement. Yeah. You know, they're not, you show them a picture of Richard Karn who played Al. For a while, he had the highest Q rating in America. Uh -huh. Nobody knew his real name, Richard Karn, but uh, they knew he was Al from Tool Time, the host of Family, oh no, he was Al from Tool Time. And because of that, he got the job as the host of Family Feud because yeah. he was the most recognizable person on TV. So to your point about, you know, promoting shows and whatever, there's so many times when, I mean, I do this with my own wife, who's very smart and very savvy. I will say to her, hey, I got this person on my show or hey, I was at a show and this person was there. And she, of course, says, I don't know who that is. So I'll just Google a picture of them on my phone and go, yeah. it's this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she's like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's so many times when you have to do that, like, you know, for you, uh, obviously, uh, I said, anyone who watched our game show saw that it was you and a few other people and this guy, Alex Bays. Who the fuck's that? I don't know. I don't care. Right. But you were smart enough to go, Alex Bays, hmm, and Google it in and find out that he's the head writer for Late Night with Seth Meyers and me nominated for Weekend Update. Uh, and, Which, and other it, many projects. Honestly, I'm I'm not even lying. That is, it's the best late night show. Um, it um, really is. There's um, no question. The um, his um, the the shit. What's it called now? I can't remember. I just blanked. Um, the, the you know shoot shows no the segment he does at the beginning that which was, oh yeah closer look the closer look is like yeah yeah the best segment Amber Ruffin is the best comedian writer I mean she's fantastic yeah. and I heard she is getting her own show which yeah, I talked a, about a year ago yeah yeah well, I did it's that funny. I was watching Trevor Noah I was watching the Daily Show today and Trevor Noah did this whole big piece about Breonna Taylor. And I thought, wow, this is why it's important to have people of color in positions like this, because no one else is doing it. And also, it's not just because no one else is doing it, but, you know, James Corden, as funny and cool a guy as he is, he's not going to do a whole big piece about Breonna Taylor because it looks stupid. You know, this fat, white English guy talking about Breonna Taylor, it seems kind yeah. of corny. But Trevor can get away with it. And I thought, you know, who's the other person who can get away with that? Seth Meyers, because he hands it off to Amber. So smart, and it's such exactly right? what you should be doing. And he had he, exactly. he didn't just do it now. He's been doing it for years by saying he has the segment with um, the the writer who's a lesbian and with Amber. And it's Jenny, like these are yeah. jokes Seth can't tell. So like brilliant. The people who have been thinking and and doing in this space already are set up so well to continue to thrive because they've yeah. already been doing it. Right. And here's and, you know, he has a 
I'm sure you've seen Karen, his newest writer, who's 21 years yes, old and I Asian. Yes, I love that. And I they're mean, like that, things talk you don't about recognize. being disenfranchised. She's 21. She's extremely young. She's Asian. She's a woman, and she's super smart. Here's the thing about about that bit that you talk about the joke Seth can't tell. Uh, for those of you listening who have never seen it, the premise is. Seth sets it up as a white man. There's a lot of jokes I can't get away with telling. So he tells the premise and then Amber Ruffin, who's black, and uh, Jenny, who's a uh, Puerto Rican lesbian, they will tell the punchlines, which are always something about being black, lesbian or whatever. And it's super funny. It's one of the best bits they do, without a doubt. But what I find brilliant about it is any comedian on any talk show, variety show, game show, any show that's not a, a, a scripted sitcom or drama could have done that bit. Uh-huh. Johnny Carson could have easily done that bit, right? He could have hired a black woman and a lesbian and they wrote jokes because how many times do you think a room full of white men wrote a joke and then someone went, well, we can't have Johnny say that, uh-huh. right? And, and it happened with Johnny, Dave, David Brenner, Jimmy Kimmel, every fucking white man it happened with. And it wasn't until Seth Meyers got in charge and went, well, why don't I just hire a diverse writing staff? And then that will that will never happen again. I mean, what the fuck? Right. How did it take that long for that to happen? And more importantly, how brilliant is Seth Meyers to not only know that, but to turn it into one of the best bits on television? Uh, The best part is at the end when they trick Seth into telling one Ah, of those jokes and then they go, ooh. Oh, so they're, it's they're so poking. great! They get all. Did you see the one with? Uh, they did it one with with Gloria Steinem, and then they did one with Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton when she was yeah. running for president. That was so great. And my favorite part is afterwards, Hillary Clinton is like, oh, "Seth, how dare you!" <laughs> it's so great. It is so We're good. Acting. It is so good. Um, yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. So thank you for the, just the opportunity to kind of even be in that world. And then, well, that's again to your point of what you were saying about booking other people. Now that we have this. You know, uh, uh, now that we're doing these shows via Zoom, there's no reason not to swing for the fences and get people who we couldn't, who we literally could not get. And I kind of feel bad because, you know, when I was doing my game show locally, I had people who were doing it on a regular basis who I love to work with. But now, uh, because I can literally get people from all over the world, uh, I have to cut those guys out sometimes. Um, you know? Yeah, but I feel like if anybody really, if anybody, you know, if they were passionate about doing it, they would say, "Hey, Paul, I'd love to do the next one. Put me on your list in the next couple months," and you would make a space. And I think that this pandemic is a good excuse for some yes. people to not do anything, or let's re- you can recreate things and and move forward. I'll say, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because I don't want to, um, you know, diminish anything that anyone's going through. Obviously, there yeah. are some people who are not handling this well jerk. and they're just shutting down and they can't function in any way. Yeah. And that's and that's sad, but it's a new world. And if you can embrace it, you have to. And this is the way it's going. Case in point, um, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but on, the, on uh, HGTV or something, there's this new show called Amy Schumer Learns to Cook. Yes. And her and her her new husband and their baby and their nanny, uh, when the pandemic started, they went up to their cabin in the woods to seclude. And it's just the four of them up there. Uh, And she said, hey, while we're up here, you can cook. She says to her husband, Chris, why don't we just film ourselves and you we cook stuff and you you show me what it's like. And so 
they have their nanny basically shooting them with a handy cam and then they have a camera behind them that is controlled by someone in Hollywood, but they turned it into a TV show. And I was like, this is it. This is the social distancing TV show that has to happen now. And they have haircut night in America. I don't know if you've seen that show where it's literally celebrities getting haircuts live, <laughs> uh, home viewing party where Tyra Banks yeah. and other celebrities just watch TV. Uh, the stupid uh, celebrity talent show where Nene Leakes and yeah. Ja Rule do dumb shit in front of their computer. This is the way it's going to be because I don't care how safe Dr. Fauci or anyone else says it is. Rich celebrities are not going back to work until they absolutely want to. They don't have to go back to work. So there is not going to be, I mean, look at all the movies that didn't come out this mm -hmm. summer already. Huge blockbusters that they just said, no, we're waiting until Christmas. And TV is going to be the same way. The fall season is going to roll around. There's going to be very few decent new shows. And it's going to be all shit like this watching on your computer. Case in point, Amy Schumer Learns to Cook nominated for an Emmy Award. Yep. So excellent point. You're exactly right. And one, I, you know what? You're right. Some people are having a hard time. I know it's survival mode and that fucks right. with your creativity. Um, but I think it is a tremendous opportunity because the playing field is super level there. There's, eh, I'll say it. There's not a lot that Amy Schumer has in that cabin that I don't have here in my apartment. <laughs> I was like, Absolutely. wait, I mean, and that's I also true metaphorically. Uh, let's let's be honest. As funny as Amy Schumer is, we all know she's there's are a thousand thousand million female comics all over America who are just as funny as her and deserve their own show. And if this is your chance, I don't know what the fuck you're waiting for. People know, you know, back in the you know a year ago, if you told someone I have a Twitch channel, ninety nine percent of them would go, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. But now. Uh, half the people are on board. So fucking, what are you waiting for? Well, you know Strike what? In, in my last interview, uh, the, somebody brought up, we were talking, I brought up how, um, you know, the writer's strike of 2008-ish, you know, it really pushed, um, you know, uh, reality TV along. And then he mentioned, yeah. um, it was my friend Spiro Savellis in Las Vegas, mentioned that, you know, that's how Diablo Cody um, wrote or got recognized or won the Oscar for Juno because she would never have gotten that opportunity or that exposure had there not been, uh, you know, the writing, you know, everybody not writing. I don't know if I'm Absolutely. saying that right, but. Because you, you never see it until afterwards, of course, you know, just like this entire Trump nightmare. We're not going to see the worst of it until many, many years later yeah. when we find out what had happened that we didn't hear about. But this is the same way at next year's Oscars. Someone's going to get up and accept the Oscar for best screenplay and say, you know what? I wrote this because I was trapped inside and I, I, I couldn't stop dealing with the recurring memories of this thing. Yeah. And now I want an Oscar for it. And you're right. And there's already um, uh, just like I, don't, you, I know you've seen these movies that are like, uh, what was the one? Unfriended that are all done like on yeah. a computer screen, you know, yeah. it's like a new thing where. Uh, every every shot is a computer screen or a phone or whatever. Or a surveillance and, camera. And, yeah, and this is a new, and this is also a new thing. There's going to be scripted dramas. I think there's already a, a movie, a scripted horror movie, that is basically this. It's a scripted Zoom horror movie where yeah. people are talking on Zoom, just like these Zoom commercials we see. Right. You know what I mean? 
uh, advertisers are always on the front line. They saw what was happening and said, okay, we need to re, we need to rethink uh, what we're doing. Let's start these Zoom commercials so we can sell our shit. And Zoom sitcoms, Zoom movies, Zoom dramas are going to be the next thing. Someone's going to win an Oscar for some fucking Zoom movie they shot, I'm yeah. sure. I mean, look at what's on Netflix, you know what I mean? Well, even, um, thing, I, I think, think the whole sure. like shot on an iPhone too is a is a is really popular. Um, yeah. yeah so I think you know these common themes as we talk like is is just lean into your strength and what you're passionate about, which are the same thing, and like seize the opportunity. Um, you know, it, it might be the best opportunity to get recognized. Um, yeah, and I really, I mean, it, it sounds trite, but, you know, as an old man, obviously I have a lot of missed opportunities and, and regrets and things that I can, you know, specifically point to and say, I know for a fact that was the wrong decision. I didn't know it then, and I may not have known it until 20 years later, but now I can look back and go, yeah, that's something I would do different. That's something I would do different. Mm. So, but the worst part is when you look back and go, the thing I would have done different is taking advantage of that. You know, that's yeah. the biggest mistake I made is letting that pass by. And this is, you know, the world, the entire world is under the same uh, restrictions you are. So if you don't, you know, look for your out or look for your angle in this, then uh, I don't I don't know what to do because this is the way it is now. Yeah. I mean, that's where my brain is and I feel pretty good about it. I've launched. Um, I've, <laughs> I, I was like. You know, my podcast is something I think I can do at a distance. Let me push forward and do that. Absolutely. Um, I think I can get guests. I can pay guests a little bit, you know, and maybe help some people out. Um, the one thing I'm not doing that I really should have been doing or, or have regrets about is, oh, maybe I should have been doing yoga and working out. And, uh, like doing, yeah. and I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do this. Um, well, that's, I mean, that, and that's a good thing too, because, you know, like you have your choice. You can either use it to focus on yourself and do yoga and work out and, and, uh, you know, whatever, do things to make yourself healthier because you have more time to yourself. Or you can just fucking let yourself go too. That's perfectly acceptable as well. I wouldn't have this crazy beard and hair if it wasn't for the pandemic. And and no one's judging you. Who gives a fuck, you know? Paul, for me, I think that's been the biggest like myth or misnomer because, uh, for example, today I got in the mail two puzzles I ordered four months ago because I wanted to do a puzzle and everybody was doing all these things. The truth is, for me, I don't have like extra time. Oh, like, really? I'm I'm still I'm working from home now, yeah. which has its ups and downs. But I don't really have any extra time other than the time driving to work and getting ready for work and then driving well, yeah home. that's what i mean like and you're my my wife is very much the same way because yeah. she still is working her job uh 40 hours a week and she also has an like you she has another business yeah. that she spends a lot of time on uh and so she's she unlike me who i was basically doing nothing before the pandemic i'm doing even less now she's doing <laughs> twice as much she's in our house just working all the time granted it's mm -hmm. on her own schedule but yeah it's the same thing she gets up at 8 45 and uh you know puts on a dress and walks to work and uh and it's that and then you know uh five o'clock she's like okay time for dinner and you know 20 minutes later we're eating dinner so that that's really the, but I think that's that's what you got to maximize on, and I think yeah. in your case, obviously, you're doing that just by using that time on your other projects, which is, is smart. Yeah. Okay. So good stuff, Paul. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, we really like we can talk, um, but I want to point out a couple of things based on what you've been telling me here. One, um, I want to point out that I have one 
all your favorite game shows in the past. Yep, you are a, a former champion of all your favorite game shows, the live version. Yes, and two, I could or should have won this last version if it weren't for a fatal, stupid, uh, like, like egotistical mistake that I mm. made. I think it was a learning experience for you. Yeah, it was obviously you came into that uh, as a former champion, thinking you were gonna, you know, kill it and run away. And I well, think it was you on name that too. It was on name that. Wait, I'm so sorry. I interrupted you talking about humility, which is the most ironic <laughs> thing that that I could have done. Yeah, like it, yeah. But I, I think I remember. You know, I remembered. Having the experience of winning before and knowing name that tune, I was confident that I might be able to name the tune with zero or one, you know? And so mm -hmm. I, I just decided to swing for the fences and say, I know, I, I can tell you that just based off the question. And I think Which gives you 10 points. And usually when somebody does that, they just, they, they put the game way out of out of bounds and that's how they win so yeah and the question was and the the song was it, the 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 trivia or whatever behind it was this band played at the mtv music awards in uh, 99 and 2000 right and they played I, the same song both those years and i thought why would they ever do that if it wasn't prince's uh you know tonight we're gonna party like it's 1999 well, right yeah i mean i thought it was a very educated guess for that but then I, agree. I, I realized it was Blink-182, all the small things, which was the biggest hit of that time. And yeah. what kills me is I probably would have been able to guess it in one note. Oh, I'm sure you would have. It was, I, I try to, I don't tell everybody this, but I try to make the audio clues fairly recognizable, oh. at least by the, by the two second clip. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm sure you would have got it, but yeah, that's a perfect example. You wanted to run away with it and you got hoisted on your own petard as it were. And, uh, Sari ended up in the fight. And then also you said you were an expert in Shit's Creek, but you couldn't answer the Shit's Creek <laughs> trivia question. Well, go ahead and just really pile it on then, Paul, because <laughs> I'm just saying that was a good, um, I, you know, I'm not sure what I'm an expert in, as you experienced trying to do Well, you're that. not the only person who says that. I get a lot of people who go, oh, gosh, I'm not an expert in anything. But what's funny is sometimes I'll say, so uh, is there a particular field of study or trivia or whatever? And they'll go into this long list of things that aren't interesting. And I'm like, well, uh, like this, that happened with Alex on the last show. He started talking about birds. And, you know, and I've, I've known Alex since college. We were roommates. And I said, don't you know a lot about Billy Joel? And he goes, oh, yeah, Billy Joel's good. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, all right. Dumb. I don't know why you didn't say it in the first place. But sometimes people don't, they think before they really give it enough thought. And they think like, well, what am I really into now? Instead of, you know, what's the thing I know a lot about? So yeah, now, now you know. And it, 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 I mean, it was a good game. And you did make it all the way to the semifinals. And I'll say this, of all the people who played the live version, you are the champion who has won the biggest prize. Nobody has ever won more money than you. Because in the old days of the show, I used to give people a gift card that was equal to the amount of points they scored. Um, and that would usually be 25, 30 bucks. But in your case, you scored like 56 points. <laughs> yeah. I gave you a gift card for $56. And I was like, wow, I can't do that every time. So <laughs> So I re I redid the show to where I just get the winner just gets a gift card. Uh, I, it's like the, in the final oh, I do it by the final round now. In the final round, if you score thirty points, you get a thirty dollar gift card. Twenty points, 20, so thirty is the most you can win. That's a so, good. 
That is really good. Um, I think my loss was also, um, you know, like, uh, softened by the, the, the small compliment gesture that, that Alex said, and it, and it was very small, and I know it's very little, but to me, it was everything, and it gave me the hope to move forward, uh, <laughs> and I was like, yes, my, you know, um, uh, was, yeah, it was very funny. There was the best, my favorite part was uh, when we were playing match game, and uh, I, you know, there's a little de- downtime while people are writing. So I, I said, hey, by the way, I'm looking for writers. If anyone wants to write for me, and Alex, of course, who was approached by people constantly wanting to work for him, said, we're not. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. We all laughed, and I was like, ha. And it's funny because, of course, you and me and Sari and. J- Jim, everyone was like, boy, I sure would love to work for Alex. So it's a funny thing to say because we were all thinking it. But then uh, it came around to the, the match game question, and uh, you the answer you gave was come. <laughs> and Alex and Alex goes, oh, you know what? On second thought, I think we, I think I found our new writer. Maybe we and are that, hiring. I, was yeah. so, I thought that was fucking hilarious. I don't even know how to spell, so I don't know if I could be an actual writer. No. Um, <laughs> You know what? It's funny. You're right. The punchline was come, and it was so dumb and simple, but it was pretty funny. Um, it so was very funny. I, to me, I, I'm just going to take that and put it kind of on my vision board as that validation that that Absolutely. I look for all the time as, as a growing comedian, so I just love that. Well, and, and it's funny because it does seem dumb as an isolated incident, and, 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 and certainly to someone not in show business or who doesn't do what we do it seems insignificant but it really is a big deal because so much of show business business and comedy is about knowing somebody and them knowing that you're funny and you know it's the hard i'm sure you've gone through this over and over again especially being a woman when you meet another comic you can see in their eyes they don't think i'm funny and it's not until they watch you perform and then they treat you differently after that set, right? Yeah. All of a sudden they're warmer, they smile, that you're in on jokes now. They friend happens- you on social media. Exactly. And that happens to all of us. And again, as, as gross as it might be, that's simply the way it is. I do it too. And that's one of the great things about comedy festivals is that everybody there is a comedian, so you can kind of be more open to it. But yeah, so now you've done that show. And if you happen ever to run across Alex again, you can say, hey, uh, remember when we were on Paul Goebel's game show together? And he's like, oh, the cum girl. I remember you. <laughs> And yeah. now, now you have that thing to springboard off of and you don't feel stupid, uh, you know, or weird. And I mean, that's a big part of what show business is. And and I, I've always hated it and I think it's gross too. But again, you got to find a way to make it work for you so you don't feel like an idiot. You know, in my case, a lot of it was being a jerk off and, you know, pushing people away when they try to do that in the, in the guise of telling jokes. I'll tell you a great story where I did that and it was bad. Uh, I used to, me and all my comedian friends used to go hang out at Brian Posehn's house a lot. It was like the the comedy hangout because he had a pool. He lived there with uh, this guy, Dave, who was a manager. So it was like a bachelor hangout. And I loved to go there because a lot of funny comics, Doug Benson would always be there and Brian. And sometimes it would be like, oh my God, did you just fucking see who walked in? Yeah. Uh, but it was, and so it was always fun. And I remember one time we were there, I was there with my friend Graham and we were just talking. And this guy walked up, and I re- and when he walked up to us, because he was clearly walking up to talk to us, and as he walked up, I realized I recognized him. His name was uh, David Bowie, 
and he was an actor whose biggest role was in the Weird Al movie UHF. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but yeah. he's basically the second lead. He's Al's best friend uh -huh. in the movie. He has a huge part. And of course, I, re I recognized him because I love that movie. I'm a big Weird Al fan. So instead of going, oh, my God, David Bowie, you're awesome. I love you. Nice to meet you. I'm Paul Goebel. Instead, he comes up and he goes, hey, did we ever work together? He says to me or Graham, and I go, yeah, didn't we meet at the UHF rap party? <laughs> And he looks at me and realizes I'm making fun of him for some reason and goes, oh, man, and walks away. <laughs> and I and I look back at that moment and go, why the fuck did I do that? Did I, oh, think, no. that, did I think that was such a funny joke that it, that it was worth it? Because I because as a normal person now on medication, I can look at that and go, yes, I should have just said, hey, David Bowie. My name is Paul Goebel. I, I, I saw you in UHF when I was. 18. But I wait, why and was that such a, was it a diss? Like, didn't we yes, meet? It was basically a diss. I was basically like somehow insulting him for being in UHF as if that's somehow an insult because, you know, it's a, obviously it's a comedian thing. Mm -hmm. You want to diss people and roast them or whatever. But in this case, I had to point out that I recognized him from UHF and turn it around as if it was some sort of Because I, I would think, like, I, I mean, uh, couldn't have been the other way of, like, yeah, I met you at the UHF rap party. That's my favorite <laughs> exactly. movie. But so it was intense. Of, because I'm a, com a comic and because of the situation, because of who I thought I had to be at the time, oh. I had to go that angle. And, I mean, and, and I could have even, you know, it, it could have even been a number of things. Because there's so many times when, like, I, I, I met John Stamos once, uh, and he said the same thing to me. And the truth is, I've never, I had never met John Stamos before that. But in that case, I did the right thing. I met you. I was like, "Hi, John," and I shook his hand. And he goes, "Haven't we met before?" And I was about to say, "No, no, no," but I went, "Yeah, I think so." I don't quite remember when, because then now he thinks we have a relationship. Yes. And so if we, if we meet a second time, it's actually the third time we've met, and I can go, "John, what's up?" We keep running into each other. Oh, and who's this? Your wife, Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Ah, oh, it's so nice. We're all friends now. Paul, essentially, one, it's don't be a dick. Um, exactly. But two, it's saving face. So you're allowing them to not feel stupid. Um, and that's and that's huge. Oh, my God, that's mm -hmm. so huge. I don't, that's why I when I meet somebody or I introduce myself, I'm like, it's me, Mary Upchurch. Hi. And then right. they don't have to worry about it. Because also, because it's it's just it's it's just you know human nature. We nobody likes to look stupid, and in that case, you know you it, you can't just say to them, "Oh, it's okay that you don't remember me. I'm nobody," because that just makes it worse. Yeah. Because then they feel like a bigger asshole. So yeah, you have to let them off the hook and go, "Hey, what's up, Mary Amtrich? And then maybe they'll go, "Of course I remember you, whether they do or not." Yeah. But it doesn't matter because it's all good. And then you're all friends, you know. And and the sad part is. If you don't, like, if you were like me and went, you don't remember me, right? Ah, ha, ha, he doesn't remember me, everybody. You know, if you do that, it might seem like it's just a joke and whatever, but people actually remember that, remember that, and they get hurt. And the next time you come up, they're like, yeah, I ran into that guy at a party. He was a real prick. Yeah. I'll tell you, the best time that happened to me, one time I was at my friend Chip's house at a party, and uh, I was just back there drinking beer, and some guy comes up to me who was just a guy and goes, uh, you look familiar what have i seen you in which you know obviously it happens a lot and i went oh i do a lot of porn and uh he's like really and i go yeah me and ron jeremy are working on this new thing called fat porn and uh, he goes oh okay all right and i go yeah uh, uh you should check it out it's coming out in a couple months he's like oh okay 
And he walks away, and I look at my friends, I'm like, what an idiot. But then I found out later that guy went to my friend Chip and said, hey, that guy in the Hawaiian shirt, is he a porno actor? Is he in porn? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, oh, I, I, why did I do that to that guy? Yeah. Why did I make him feel like an idiot? I didn't even know him. I think him it's yet. like that, you know, it's just like be a little vulnerable. Or, yes. Yeah. Just the slightest okay. bit. Because you have to be as a performer anyways. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't care how hard you are and how tough. I don't care if you're dice. You're still going up on stage all by yourself in yeah. front of all those people. And you could easily, you know, it could be the worst night of your life. And you have to be open to that and show people, this is me up here. Paul, we haven't even talked about wings yet. <laughs> oh, my God. And we're just going to talk about the food, not the show, right? <laughs> you know, that has come up one other time uh, in this podcast. And no, it's not about the show. I did not watch Wings. I, I, want to, I hated Wings. I want to get through, you know, I want to talk about what Wings you had. And then okay. I have a couple other questions. I don't know if they're games or just fun stuff that I want to ask sure. you about. Uh, okay. And so we're going to do this a little quicker and um, more concise. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, what kind of wings did you have? Um, well, I went with, uh, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty simple wing guy. I don't like a lot of crazy sauces. I especially don't like sweet sauces. Uh, I like them spicier. Uh, so I just went with, um, regular, uh, buffalo wings, hot sauce, not crazy hot, but the hot buffalo sauce. We ordered from a new place, uh, that we never ordered from before called It's Just Wings. Oh. Um, and it was really good. Partly because, like, they have a million sauces. They concentrate on just the wings. Like, the only side they have is curly fries, and everything comes with curly fries. Where is that located? I think it's in Gilbert. Oh, shit. I moved out of Gilbert. Yeah, it's close by. They Yeah, I got it through, you know, DoorDash or something like that. And they have, like, fried Oreos for dessert, which they make there, which were really fun. What? I felt felt like I was at the fair. I couldn't believe it. Um, But they have, uh, they have regular wings they have boneless wings and then they have these smoked pecan smoked wings uh which is what i got and even though i I couldn't really taste the pecan smokiness or anything they were so because they were smoked they fell apart real easily you know and they were very juicy and moist and so i like that and i also it was a good buffalo sauce the only thing i will say i didn't like is um they all come with ranch um, but I, I prefer blue cheese, so I ordered some blue cheese, and it did not show up. I was disappointed. Oh, yeah. Okay, so so you're getting into a little bit of your wing constitution. Uh, let me ask you, do you prefer the drummy or the flat when you do the bone and wing? I'm all drums, which works out because my wife loves flats. Yep. So, Match uh, made in we're, heaven. We're the perfect couple because I, like, uh, I don't like to use both my hands. Yeah. I would rather keep one hand clean and one hand dirty. And with a, with a, with a flat, you got to tear it apart. But I was listening to the last episode with Chip when you talked about that, that, uh, Dunking that thing yeah. where you push down the flat and put it all in your mouth. Someone yeah. showed me that once. And every time I try it, it burns my hands. And I'm like, fuck this. And I get all mad. And so that's How does a it big burn reason. your hand? Like, the wing is always too hot for me. Maybe uh, I have delicate fingertips. You I know I've never worked a hard it. day in my life. <laughs> TV money. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to try it. I haven't yet. I am a little bit of a picky wing eater where I don't fully clean the bone, but I want to try it. Yeah, that's the other thing is I clean the fucking bone. So getting in between the flat there is a pain in the ass. I, yeah. I literally put the, the drum in my mouth and pull out a bone. For but that's the respectable style. thing to do. You know? Absolutely. Um, 
Do you prefer a dry rub or a sauced wing? Oh, sauce always, because again, I'm an old man, so uh, you know I, I get uh, dehydrated pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> I drink, I'm always drinking something with my food, and so I like a dry rub. I certainly like spicy food, but I gotta have my food has to have some kind of yeah. sauce on it. I can't eat, eat a dry uh, dinner. I can't do it. So I know the answer to the next question. It's ranch or blue cheese, and you're a blue yeah. cheese guy. Um, Absolutely. I love it when you can when you find when somebody. Actually, I like it with I like ranch too, but I love it when a restaurant like makes their own or they have just a really oh. good blue cheese, like fresh. Yeah, and it's funny you should say that because like my wife prefers ranch, and there's places we order from because their ranch is so good. Yeah. Like uh, Barrows here uh -huh. uh, in, in town is really good. They have their own ranch, um, and uh, EGs, which they don't have wings, but they make their own ranch. But there was a place in Chicago when I lived there called Yaxies. It was a bar. And uh, they had the best fucking wings, but they made their own blue cheese. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. It had chunks in it, and it was thick, and it stunk. It was so popular, they sold it at the grocery store across the street. Oh, cool. And people just used to buy it. And I remember when, like, anyone from Chicago knows what Yaxies is. They're Yaxies? Very uh, but I remember when I moved to L.A. one day, I was like, fuck, I could eat some Yaxies. And I called them in Chicago. And I was like, hey, do you guys deliver? Like, would you like pack your stuff and, you know, fry, uh, freeze dried ice or whatever and send it to me? And they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that was not even on their radar. So I was like, oh, well. But I haven't had the accent since I moved. But it, a good blue cheese, because I hate it when you get a blue cheese and it tastes just like the ranch. Yeah. And you're like, what? What did you do? Um, this is just the same thing. One of my faves that's easy to get and stuff is just the Bob's Big Boy blue cheese in the, you know, the cold mm. section of the fridge. It's yeah. thick. Uh, yeah. It's I, good. I, I, whenever I make my own wings or, or Brooke makes wings, I absolutely use that. Or there's another kind. It's named after a woman, Priscilla's or something like that, but it's super thick and you just dip yeah. it right in the jar. Yeah. I love it. Okay, now I want wings again. I haven't had any <laughs> lately. Um, but there was a time I was eating wings a couple times a week doing this podcast, so maybe this has been a good break. Um, do you do the carrots, celery, or no veggies? Um, I like to have the carrots and celery. Again, you know, that's always such a crapshoot because sometimes yeah. they just are bad carrots and celery. Yeah. Some places give better ones than others. Um, uh, if the wings are really hot, I appreciate it, obviously, mm -hmm. to cut down the heat. But sometimes, I don't know, it's, I'm sure this has happened to you where you eat your wings and you're like, that's good. And then you grab a, a, a carrot or something and you're like, holy shit, this carrot's delicious. Yeah. And you eat all the carrots because for some reason they're really good that day. I don't, and I like celery and peanut butter too, so oh, I always yeah. eat that. Well, but, you know, well, here's the thing. I just kind of reminded myself. One of the reasons why I started eating wings is because I, I like the blue cheese. I started getting a taste for that. And if it's good celery or carrots, it's a good yes. receptacle for getting more blue cheese. Um, but sometimes I'm very delighted when the carrots, you can tell they're fresh cut. They're not like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, machine cut. And they're not just baby carrots out of a bag. Oh, either. no, fuck that. No. They're, yeah, no, they're carrots that somebody, uh, they peeled. And then they cut. cut the long way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and they're I, always good. I do remember a wing stop in Oceanside where I used to live and work. And uh, their carrots were the perfect square cylinders or square whatever. Yeah. And those were really good, like water-packed uh, Yeah, it's, it's always good because it's the inside, which is the sweet part of the carrot. Yeah. And uh and all the and they keep the and they don't cut it in half. I've heard because you know carrots have that thing running through the middle, okay. and you want to keep that intact because when you cut it that way, 
and don't cook it, something happens. It's same with strawberries. If oh. you take off the stem of a strawberry, it changes the taste. Uh, That's fascinating, so, and it makes sense, yeah. and I've never known that. This is I love this stuff. I love finding out these <laughs> little things. Um, Me too. And my last constitution question here is, how many wings can you eat? Oh, boy, it's weird. In the old days, man, like we would go to Yaxi's, and I would get 20 wings and fucking down them all. I remember one time I was splitting a plate with my friend, and he's like, and I go to grab a wing. He's like, bro, you've eaten 10. You're good. I was like, what? I'm not even close. He's like, no, these are mine. I was like, fuck. Uh, uh, but in the old days, I could eat a shitload. Now that I'm much older, uh, I eat. I usually eat too fast, and my stomach fills up quick. So I just, last night, how many? I ordered eight, and I think I ate seven. Okay. Seven of them, uh, but that was you know with fries and and stuff. But yeah, I can't do more, much more than that. Especially nowadays, any respectable place serves big fucking meaty wings. You know, it's not like in the old days you get the cheap ass wings with hardly any meat on them. Well, what do you think about that? Do you like a bigger wing or just like a lean, like of the little ones? Well, it, you know, because I like the drums, I appreciate when it's you know okay. one of those big fat drums, and you kind of have to take a few, like three or four bites out of it. Obviously, the better. The, the the more meat it is, the better the better wing it is. But it's all about the flavor. Well, Cogburns, uh, you know. right? You know they have the big wing. At where? Cogburns. Oh, I've never been there. There's a couple in the Gilbert area, in that area. I think that's just like too. I'm worried it's pumped full of hormones. Yeah, if they're too big, you want to be careful because especially those chain places, you're not sure what they do. That's why the local places are always better. Their uh, their chickens are more uh, local. Yeah, well, I guess you know I've learned there's just different qualities of to chicken and what like maybe a grade or, or something like that. So fantastic! That's, That's your wing constitution. I I do find it fascinating. You know, I think with a lot of food, but this is about wings. People just have their preferences about this, and it's so specific to the person. And I just I just think it's neat. And I also like. Um, I love how you say, you know, your wife likes the flats and you like the drums, so that's boom, um, you know, perfect match there. Um, so yeah, it, it works out perfectly because I would when I would get wings by myself, I'd eat all the drums, and then if I was still hungry, I'd eat the flats. But sometimes there were flats that never got eaten, and and she just sometimes would order wings, and if she, I think she stopped ordering from places that didn't let her get all flats. Right. You know, some places let you order all one or the Zips other, will, and she just found places that let her get all flats, that. and that's all she ordered. I always feel bad doing that. Like, I'm not supposed to do that. And then I heard recently somebody said they won't let you do that during Super Bowl time, some places. Well, it takes extra time. Well, you, you've been to those places where the wing is connected, right? Yeah. The, the drum and the flat is one big-ass piece. I hate those places, but... I get it. It's, like, it's well, too messy for me, but I, I, I get the appeal why some people would like that. And that probably saves time. You know, you don't have to cut them all in half. Yeah, but that's a whole that's a different meal, though. It's a different, <laughs> different thing. Um, all right, fantastic. Thank you for that. So It's Just Wings, Buffalo Hot with Paul Goble will be the name of this episode. And we'll probably tag It's Just Wings. All right, so as we are getting to the end of our time here, I do, there's some things I want to talk about based on what you said. Um, sure. Well, gosh, Boston Common now doesn't seem, well, I just, okay, I always remember, <laughs> I've always remembered an episode where, uh, Ler, I, I'm going to call her Lurleen because I, I feel like that's what her name was. Um, was it Lurleen? It wasn't Lurleen. It was something like that. It was like Erlene. 
something like Wileen. That's what it was, Wileen. Yeah, it was Wileen. And it was like her, like, kind of dumb country brother, and she was going to school in Boston, and for some reason he followed her. Right, and he got a job. He wasn't going to school, but he got a job on campus. And it's probably like the fish out of water kind of set up in a way, right? But there was Absolutely. An epi- there was an episode where she had a final t- in her communication class, and the whole episode, like, he, he distracted her, you know, or something. and Or maybe she, it was a dream episode, and the one thing that she remembered, somebody said, uh, well, the, the key to good communication is brevity. And so at the end of the episode, it's almost like the punchline of the episode she she's worried about this final she's about to take they're going to give her her prompt and she has to kind of write a write back when you used to write on paper um <laughs> i know i'm like what am i talking about and and the question the prompt was what is the key to good communication and she, and and it was like this relaxed moment and she just wrote brevity period handed it in and left where everybody else is about to take two hours to write the key to good community. Get it? And I was like, oh my God, it. it's so smart. It's brevity. Something like Get it? That, yeah, it was a fish out of water thing because they, it was a bo- they were going to, she was going to a Boston college, but they were from Virginia, uh-huh. which, you know, they're right next to each other. And he, and so they were kind of countrified and that was the deal. He was a good old country boy and whatever. But what's funny is uh, if you watch old episodes of that show, um, not only did it feature me in an early role, but there's also episodes that feature a very young Zach Galifianakis. Oh. And that's uh, and that's where I first met Zach was on that show, you know, long before, you know, we were both in our uh, 20s, our late 20s, and he wasn't even close to famous, but we were both doing comedy at the time, just very differently. But Zach plays the, uh, one of the stoners on campus, <laughs> which is kind of typecast, something he'd never do now. But you can, I'm sure you can go online and see old episodes of that show. Yeah, I'm it was Wileen. Wileen. Oh, and Sam Anderson was in it. Also, uh, not only was it good to work with Zach, but I worked with Roger Rees on that show. He played the dean, and uh, you might re- Roger Rees is better known as Robin Colcourt on Cheers, but he also played Nicholas Nickleby in the uh, very first production of Nicholas Nickleby. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a brilliant actor, and I like to tell this story about because it's a good uh, show business story. There was uh, one time, uh, b- the first thing you do whenever you are on a sitcom. The very first time you meet everybody is when you do a table read. Uh-huh. You have to show up. Everybody shows up first day of work, nine o'clock, has some coffee. You all sit around the table and everybody reads the script. And, you know, a PA or somebody reads all the directions. And they put all the stars at the end of the table and the directors at the other end. And then everyone else is on the side. So I have my like two lines and I, I'm eating my bagel and ready to start, trying not to cause any trouble. And I see Roger Rees is sitting next to me. Um, and so I'm kind of between him and the end of the table where the directors sit and, uh, the guy, the, the head, um, grip guy or whatever, this guy, Pete, who had been in fucking been working in TV for so long, he had actually worked on the show Lidsville. That's how long he had been working on TV. Um, and he, we knew each other from being on the show already, but I'm sitting there and it was Roger Rees's like second day. And he comes up and he goes, Hey, um, when uh, Roger's doing his lines, make sure you lean back so the directors, so everybody can see him at the end of the table. Don't block him. And basically he was saying, you're not important enough yeah. to be in the way, so don't fuck this up. And I was like, I got it, I got to read it, Roger. And so uh, the time comes, you know, I just do my line and then I just kind of sit back as I didn't, it was nothing else for me to do. But it, the time comes for my line and I say it and I guess I nailed it because everybody fucking laughs 
And I was like, okay, good. I nailed my one line. But then Roger Rees next to me goes, ah, <laughs> and grabs my arm and looks at me. And I was like, wow. Nice. That was hilarious. And obviously, I've never forgotten it, but it was the nicest thing. And I thought, man, not everybody in Hollywood, he didn't have to do that. He could have easily just smiled or whatever, but he was such a such a giving and kind man that he wanted to be like, that was funny. Good job. He wanted to give me an attaboy. And and I mean, obviously, I've always remembered it, but it's a it's a great thing. And, and I will say this. This is a good point because it's something I wanted to bring up. In my later years as a comedian and an actor, there are times in my career when I have seen an opportunity like that for another comedian or an actor or somebody, and uh, and and I and I I, all, I always hesitate because mm-hmm. I think, yeah, mind your own business. They, who are you to to give them advice or comment on their act? They, you're nobody. You're not Roger fucking Rees. But then I will almost always say it anyways mm-hmm. because. Uh, regardless, uh, people always want to hear it. Uh, and, and what I found is, and I'll use you as an example, you know, when we first met and you started doing comedy, I, I made a point to tell you how funny you were. And, and, uh, and I was just like, you need to, you need a little more, uh, confidence because you're definitely funny enough and you're, you're kind and you're, uh, you know, you're friendly and you're attractive. You got everything it takes to be on stage, just a little more confidence. And, you took that in the spirit it was intended and obviously you you know you've grown by leaps and bounds as a comedian and all that but what i find is that what i get back from that is so uh so valuable because in your case especially because in whereas i can maybe give you great advice about show business and being confident or whatever you can give me advice on being a nice person and what i what i learned from you about being honest about being kind uh about being gentle are things that i wish someone had taught me long long ago and you know when i meet people like you or genevieve or you know any of the people i've met here in phoenix through comedy uh basically in this second stage of my life i get so much more back from the people i give advice to or the people i i try to give compliments to what you know the good feeling they get or the success they get from that or the friendship I get out of that is is yeah. worth so much more than than anything that anyone's gotten from me. Yeah. So I, thank I mean, you. I, yeah. That is so, so nice. Thank you. And I was thinking, you know, when you're you know, you're talking about, um, um, you know, Roger Reese and stuff, it's like it doesn't cost you anything and it means the world to somebody else. And if it doesn't and if it's taken wrong, that's not your problem. Like, you know, that's not your fault. It, that's how you took it. And now, you know, that's not really going to be somebody I'm going to talk to again. But like, I try to tell myself to like, don't hesitate if it's, if it's about doing something good, like don't hesitate or just do it because you will always regret not doing it, but you're not going to regret doing it. Exactly. If, 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 you know, if you were to say to me, uh, well, thanks, I don't really need your advice on confidence, <laughs> but thanks anyways, that would be Who are you? The king of TV <laughs> trivia. Uh, who are you again? Yeah, not only would that be completely out of character, but it wouldn't really hurt my feelings, and I would get over it quite quickly, and I'd know, okay, Mary doesn't need your dick from me. And it's not the end of the world, but like you said, uh, sometimes those chances don't come around, and, and I have so many regrets, I can't even count, you know, uh, how many things I wish I had done or said when I when I hadn't. So, yeah, it's not a bit, like you said, it doesn't cost anything. And, you know, Roger Rees probably went to his grave never remembering who I was another day in his life. But 
uh, I, I've said I've met other I've met people like an, on a second wave uh, and said to them, hey, you might not remember this, but we met blah, 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 blah. And it really meant a lot to me. And they're like, of course, they love to hear that. And it really hit home with me when I was on Beat the Geeks, you know, because uh, what people don't realize is that regardless of what you get paid, regardless of what show you're on, regardless of what you play, when you're on TV, people recognize yeah. you. Period. Ryan Hurst was on two episodes of Boston Common. Who was? Ryan Hurst. Do you know oh, him? Oh, yeah. He's huge. Well, he and, was... Oh, yeah, now, yeah. He, he was very young then. He was just a kid. Oh, okay. Margo Kidder. Margo, Margo Kidder. Kidder. Ryan yeah. Hurst was in Remember the Titans, but then he was in, uh, like, The Walking Dead. He's the major villain right now. Yeah, yeah. He was on uh, uh, that uh, motorcycle show, and too. And he's a hottie. Um, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so many good names. I did, it's a very... Um, so that era, it's like watching it on USA, I think, is when I watch yeah, Boston Common. Yeah, it was Common, on USA a lot. <laughs> which leads me to two more questions I want to ask you. By the way, I love Not Another Teen Movie, some really fun, quotable stuff. Um, was it the one where they're, he's like, you're not... Oh, oh, yeah, because you were giving out that DVD, and <laughs> Chip brought up how he won it at Big Pine, and right. it was at Big Pine, he showed me the DVD, and I go, gosh, that's <laughs> such a good movie. And I love when he goes, um, they're making fun of Cruel Intentions, and he goes, he's like, come on, you're my sister, but we're related. Because she's coming on to him, and she goes, right. only by blood. <laughs> yeah, because she's supposed to be the weird sex one. She even has a line in that song that says she's going to fuck her brother. I want to, yeah. It's and then very also, graphic. Like, but yeah, it's uh, when, you know when I moved here, I realized how much people recognize me just from that one line in that movie. So when we started doing the uh, the game show, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I gave this out and I played my one clip from that movie every time we did it? <laughs> I <would. laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to find copies. But then I was in this, I was in one of the video stores here, and they had like four copies, and they were having a sale: buy three, get one free. So I was like, all right. It was a done deal. That's I great. bought all four. And the girl at the counter goes, Oh, you really like this movie, huh? And I was like, No, I'm in it, though. And normally, oh, I, of course, would never say, say that. I'm not no, going to brag about having one line in a movie, but I go, No, I'm actually in it. And she goes, oh, Really? Oh, I love that. I love that. People, but people, when I tell people I'm in it, they think I'm the fat guy, the fat football player guy. So they go, oh, Really? And I'm like, Yep, that's me. <laughs> I think I saw a TikTok how that guy has had a glow up since then because he always played that. Anyway, um, I want to get to yeah. my next question. Um, what? Um, what is there a sitcom you wish had not gotten canceled? Like, what's oh, your favorite a, a sitcom million. that got canceled too early that you know you wish had had some time and some runway to to grow? Well, for the most part, you know, especially in the old days, sitcoms would just go on way too long. And, you know, sometimes there'd be no original characters and whatever. Uh, these days, because um, people control, the creators control the show so much, they know, like The Good Place, that was a plan. They knew how many uh, episodes and seasons oh, they were okay. going to do. So it's, it's less. But there are some times when a show goes off way too early. And uh, I think the best example of that is news radio which is probably mm. my favorite sitcom of all time um, because it's really, uh, it, as far as like a, a box, like Barney Miller was a great uh, a sitcom that was like a, every episode was a bottle episode. Everything takes place in one location. Yeah. 
you know, and news radio was like that too. It all, sometimes they go outside the building, but for the most part, it was always right there. And it was a brilliant cast made up with, you know, comedians from SNL and uh, kids in the hall and, uh, you know, just the funniest people. And they would have guests on like Odenkirk was on many times and David Cross, and they always got the funniest people. And then of course, Phil Hartman got murdered and, uh, John Lovitz came in, and as funny as the show was in its final season, it's impossible to watch it and not be sad because you look at John Lovitz and go, "That should be Phil Hartman," and he got murdered, and it's yeah. fucking sad. And you know, uh, it, it was that. And for me, I don't know about you, but I was, you know, I had just moved to LA when that happened, and I was living in an apartment with my friend Jim and Graham, and you know, we were poor and eating ramen, and we're sitting around watching TV, and they bust in and say, you know one of your favorite comedians has just been murdered by his wife. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, it was yeah. something I hadn't felt since John Belushi died, yeah. quite honestly. And and it was really a big deal. And, you know, I went to see a taping of news radio when, oh, wow. when Phil was on it. When I was, uh, again, it was the first year I was in LA and me and my friend Jim and his wife went to a taping. And I was like, oh, this should be fun because I had been to a couple before. And again, for those of you who had never been, tapings go on a long, long time and they can be really boring. So if there's not a good warm up guy there to, uh-huh. in, uh, to entertain you, it's a drag. In this case, it was this guy, Alan Murray, who's a very funny comedian. And he, he, he's like one of the few warm-up guys left in, 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 in L.A. But not only was he good, but they also had a band, which was great. They played when there was nothing to do. They, the band would play, so you could listen to them. But also, at one point, um, Joe Rogan came up and did some jokes and talked to us. Uh, Andy Dick came up and threw candy and fucked around. And then Phil Hartman literally walks up into the stands, and he's like, uh, and, he, and he talks to this young girl and goes, hi, what's your name? And she says her name and he goes, I'm Troy McClure. Uh, and he starts yeah. doing this fucking bit. And me and my friend Jim, we're like, I was like, oh my God, Troy yeah. McClure's doing this fucking bit right for us. And I was like, and I ne- and I said, I'll never go see a taping again because it will never be as great as this. And I didn't, but then, you know, then I find out he's dead. And so that was a big deal for me. And, and so news radio, you know, obviously that show could have gone on many, many more years and yeah. been one of the most brilliant sitcoms in history but uh, that is a, an interesting a um paul that's an interesting list like i'll always click on um about like shows where they lost you know their their title person you know that's a, yeah. it's an interesting and sad list to look at because now i'm thinking of like john ritter and right and it's and it's a strange it's strange when you look at the list because you see like john ritter bill coleman right right Right, and then like, and there's so many different circumstances. Like John Ritter, he died of a heart attack, which is sad, but at least he wasn't murdered. Yeah, you know, so you're like, eh. but then you find out he literally fell to the ground and was dead before he hit the ground on the set of his show. Oh, so I that's didn't kind know of, that. Yeah, that's a big deal. But then you look at like uh, Valerie's family. You remember Valerie, the Valerie Harper show? Yeah, where it was called Valerie, and then she got fired because she was so hard to work with. So they changed it to Valerie's family and then the Hogan family. And then Jason Bateman became a huge TV star because of it. Nobody died though. Nobody died. So it was, yeah. So it's like, you look at that one, it's not really sad. In fact, it was probably the best thing to happen because the show got more popular. And like I said, Jason Bateman, his career fucking took off after that. Well, and I feel like Jason Bateman though, there was a lull and then he came back really strong. And it was, I think it was, um, the dodgeball movie was one of the first ones I remember seeing him back in. Well, I think Arrested Development was probably the biggest because he was the well, lead on that. Yes, but didn't dodgeball happen before Arrested Development? 
Possibly. Well, no, I mean, that show was on for a long time. I don't know. And they might have been the same time. The reason he didn't work for so long is because as soon as he turned 18, he started directing. Like, he always wanted to direct when he was on Valerie's Family. Uh-huh. And so when he, when he turned 18, now he could legally have a job and direct the show in the Directors Guild. So he's actually, he holds the record for the youngest person ever to join the Directors Guild. So on his 18th birthday, he joined the Directors Guild and then like that season directed multiple episodes of the Hogan family. So that's why he didn't work for so long is because he was directing and, you know, you know, he owns multiple productions. I see what you mean. I I see what you mean. Um, And you know what? And I'm looking at the dates and I should know better than to try to, um, you know, like contradict you. Um, But I'm close. Huh? I let it go because it's you. Well, no, because I... (sighs) I, I do get passionate about this, but I think it's both out of the mutual like love for TV. Dodgeball came out in 2004, and and uh, Arrested Development came out in 2003. So I, it's possible... Hold on a second. Uh, so it is possible I saw one before the other. Or Yes, it's very, it's very possible. But he's great in both of them. But you're right, it was... It was, it was it wasn't just Arrested Development. He was doing small roles in movies like not just that, but you remember the breakup with Vince Vaughn yes. and Jennifer Aniston? He and was that very was funny another that. one. Yeah, you're like, oh, and then he's in everything. Yeah, he was doing small roles in movies, and now he's he's back to doing leads. But also, I don't know if you watched The Outsider on HBO. I um, haven't recorded, and I haven't watched it yet. It's really good because he's, he's in the first few episodes, but then he gets killed, and he's not in anything. Oh, but he's good. But he's the producer of it. So he he's nominated for like two Emmys for that show because he's also and he directed like almost every episode of it. Oh. So uh, you know, it's a good it's it's a spooky creepy show. I read yeah. the book, but yeah, you it's should a Stephen King. What? Is it Stephen King? <laughs> what? I thought I heard that today that that was a Stephen. Yes, it's a Stephen King book. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I oh. thought you said. I thought you said. Did he kill somebody? I was like, what the fuck? Oh, God damn it, Paul! I was. See, this is the thing. It's the confidence. Like, if I had, if you know, like I, I'm. Sometimes I'm like I'm smarter than I think I am, or I'm I'm well versed, and that's why, like, the year that I won your trivia, I was on a roll. And when I get going, then the confidence. But then sometimes it always has to like knock me down. So nah, yeah, it happens. You just gotta get right back up again and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a, it's a Stephen King book, and okay. then they made a series out it's of it. It's fine. Yes. I'm over it, Paul. I am so over it. <laughs> no, I had a hard time watching it. Um, I want to watch it, but the first episode, I mean, it got you, and you're like, holy shit. It's it's. I mean, that's why they had it on HBO because it is fucking brutal. What is it's your favorite disturbing. sitcom that's on right now? Oh, that's hard to say because we're in the summer and uh, a lot of great sitcoms are kind of wrapped. Also, I guess... Oh, I'm sorry. In um, the last year. In the last season. Not, you know, like today. Okay. Uh, Well, I will say my favorite sitcom in recent time would have to be uh, Things They Do in the Shadows on FX. It's obviously, it's based on the movie, which is very funny. But they just finished their, their second season. They got nominated for a bunch of Emmys. But it's really, it's brilliant. It's a show about a bunch of vampires who live together in modern-day New Jersey. Um, but it, it's not just that. It's amazing. They're different kinds of vampires. Yeah. And then there's this whole, and it's super funny. Matt Berry and all these really funny people are on it. It's, it was created by Jermaine Clement and Taiki Watiti. They did the movie. So they write a lot of the scripts and direct the show. It's, if you haven't, for those of you listening, if you haven't seen it, 
It's on Hulu, so yeah. you can watch all two seasons. It's very okay. Fun. So to wrap things up, um, I wrote down early on um, I wanted to do a Mary Fucker Kill game with oh, okay. a few TV shows, um, and for the podcast, I used to call it Dry Rub, Smoke, or Fry. Um, but basically, what was it? Dry Rub would be Mary. Um, right. Smoke would be Kill, and Fry would be Fuck. Um, I used to do I used to do a podcast with Steve Mandel, and we'd play Bed, Wed, or Behead. Ah, that's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so we can just do Mary, Fuck, or Kill at this point. But here okay. are your three shows. Um, and I think this dawned on me after we talked about Boston Common the first time. So three All shows. Right. Uh, Step by Step. Quantum Leap. Uh-huh. And Sister Kate. Okay, that's easy. I would kill Step by Step, because that show's bad. I would most definitely fuck Quantum Leap, because that show is awesome, and it has a lot of... Scott Bakula's the shit. And then I'd marry Sister Kate, because she's a nun, played by hot Stephanie Beecham, and also Jason Priestley, a very young Jason Priestley was on that show. So, so, so yes, I love it. I love it. Um, I loved Sister Kate, and it was one of those shows I would watch... It would come on Lifetime um, in the middle of the day, and I can't remember exactly where I was, but I think um, there was a part in when I was in middle school, we did like year-round school, so I would have a month off, oh. you know, that was oh, like you during... like the block thing, three yeah. months and then a month off, yeah. So like I'm home, you know, at, a, at 10 a.m. On a, on a regular Tuesday, so that's where I kind of got into Sister Kate, and I thought it was so... <laughs> it was so simple and it, it wasn't the sexiest show but it was good it was it's strange because stephanie beecham for those of you who don't know uh is a, a mainstay in england she was on all those english oh. shows like coronation street and all those serious english shows and she's basically a i think she might even be a dame uh oh. she may have even been knighted or whatever but then she was on uh dynasty here in america and she was very popular as you know like one of the very fancy beautiful big-breasted older women on dynasty and then when her character left she was so hot they were like we got to give her another show right away and so they made her a nun <laughs> which i always thought wait a minute isn't she that hot lady from dynasty why is she wearing this fucking nun's habit and hanging out with these kids and so it was a completely different role for her plus anyone who knew her from england was like what the fuck is this this is ridiculous oh yeah, that was i a, didn't know anything about show. her that was it's funny that you should say that because a lot of people Nowadays with streaming, when streaming came along, it kind of ruined that era because me and you and people before that, we would always just watch things when they were on. Yeah. And if you had free time at 10 o'clock, you watched one show every day at 10 o'clock and it just became your favorite show. And in, in your case, it was Sister Kate. For my wife, it was uh, the daytime soap opera Santa Barbara. <laughs> she oh. watched every day. Uh, for me, it was news radio because when my first yeah. daughter was little, uh, she would get up, of course, way too early, and I would grab her, and we'd lay on the couch, and she'd nap intermittently, and I'd watch episodes of news radio that happened to be on right then. So I think, you know, that's things that kids miss out today, that they can have everything whenever they want it. Uh, they, they, they don't get to learn the cool stuff that's out there. Well, I do. I mean, uh, for me, um, like my journey or relationship with TV is, and there's probably a lot of people, we watch TV together. You know, my dad sits in his chair. We sit all around and we tune sure. in and we watch the TGIF. And um, yep. and so it is, it is kind of neat. And it's, I mean, I'm not, like, I appreciate that. That is something that, that, that 
it, but it's probably you know it's changed and it, it won't be like that but i'm i'm glad to have experienced that so um that is yeah, really fun. and that's what i love about uh you know your expertise in tv and i'm like ah um <laughs> but that sister kate knowledge just really shows off how you much go. you know <laughs> um fantastic well paul this has been fantastic thank you so much for joining me um where can people find you or follow you what would you like them to do um, well, you can always, uh, I got kicked off Twitter, uh, a, a while ago, so, uh, I didn't, I decided to quit Twitter. I decided that was, I took the hint and I, I never, I, I have a Twitter account, but that's just to read it. I'm not very active on Twitter anymore. Uh, but I am active on Facebook and I, you can still be my friend. I get put in Facebook jail almost on a regular basis, but you can be my friend on Facebook, uh, Paul Goble. I'm happy to friend you and you can keep up to date with, uh, with all the shows I'm doing. Uh, my Twitch channel is the King OTV. If you watch things on Twitch, you can go there and watch our get my game show. Watch Mary perform. We just did it this week, um, this Wednesday. I had yeah. um, who? Who were my? Uh, who did I fucking have? Oh, I had Jakey Fenstratton and Jackie Cation on. And, I love uh, Jackie Cation. Yeah, we all love Jackie. She's great. Next week, uh, I'm going to have Brian Dunkelman uh, nice. and Gray Delisle Green, who does the voice of uh, Daphne in every. Scooby-Doo cartoon cool. uh, and also uh, on your suggestion I booked Patrick Aiken so uh, I'm very excited to have him oh Patrick well. Aiken yeah. he is so sharp and funny and beautiful he's just yeah. great so I love him and he's his... like a, a dude version of you oh thank you so much he has <laughs> such a he is so he has a good um, fan base and his like his friends and he's a good um, but he's also I have, he's so sharp. I have booked him on shows before where like almost the whole audience was people he brought yeah um, that is so helpful for a new comic, and I, I had it once, but now my friends are sick of going to shows, so uh, en enjoy <laughs> it while these. it lasts, Patrick. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Paul, this has been great. Thank you so much. Uh, you guys, I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on Wings with Friends. We will see you next time. Be safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.